Oh, man. What I love about being in Christ is that our relationships are not confined to time. They're not confined to planet Earth, not confined to distance and geography. Isn't that awesome? You know, so, and they're not, they're not, it's not confined by the name over the building that we're in right now either. Isn't that good news? One body in Christ. It's so good. So, good morning. How are you all doing? Another long weekend. Man, there's a lot of them, eh, in the beginning? It's the last one. Wow. I didn't actually know this was a long weekend until the other day, so I should probably look at my calendar. Today I want to I share about Reformation, and um, really, really it's come out of my own thought process, especially the last several years of my life, it's definitely been a Reformation, and uh, more significantly in the last year and a half, definitely been a Reformation. And um, so really... I've been, I've been probably challenging my thinking, my thought process, my belief system, and, and um, you know, it's, it's kind of a chaotic, crazy time because you start thinking crazy thoughts or, like, you start to stretch what possibility is, <laughs> and then you've got to kind of sometimes rein yourself back because you become a heretic. But, but um, you know, it's been an enjoyable process. <laughs> yeah. What's really funny is that um, we weren't here last week, um, Lara and myself and Jess, we weren't here. But, um, I, I, I was gutted that I missed Tony's message last week, which I hear was really awesome. And I did hear it was awesome because I listened to the podcast. <laughs> and I was listening to it and I was like, oh, dang. And um, so I texted him and said, dude, you just spoke my message for today. <laughs> so, you know, great minds think alike. Um, and that's part of the problem. We like to be the point of all truth, and we like to be the, the reference point of all perfect opinion. <laughs> and that's not always the case. It doesn't end well, eh, when we have that kind of belief system about the way we think. And there's only one person who's walked on the earth that is the perfect reference for all truth and opinion, and his name is Jesus. Amen. So... Um, you know, so when I mean reforming, uh, reformation, I mean reforming. And um, reforming thought, reforming the way we see. That's kind of a scary picture. But, you know, reforming the way we think, reforming the way we see and perceive and what we understand. So I really hope that person's getting their eyes checked. Or. <laughs> You know, just got, yep. So, (laughs) I won't say that. So, this year is really uh, significant. In October, I think it is, marks the 500-year anniversary since uh, Martin Luther wrote his um, 95 Thesis. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is basically um, what's considered the launch of what became the Protestant Reformation. This is significant. Um, basically, our belief system was massively influenced by this moment in time. And um, if you go back, I want to go back a bit into his history. And I haven't done a really intensive study of Martin Luther, so after this message, do not give me his book. 
<laughs> or send me an email, please, okay? <laughs> so when Martin Luther was young, he joined, um, he joined this order called the uh, Augustian Order. And um, in, the, in this order, there was lots of fasting, there was lots of prayer, and there was lots of repentance. And, and Martin Luther found himself in a really dark, dark place within himself. And he actually wrote, when he was reflecting back on these days when he was in that order, he said, I lost touch with Christ the Savior and Comforter. I lost touch with Christ the Savior and Comforter and made of him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. Wow. That's a, that's a dark place to go to. Fortunately, there was a man named, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Johann von Stuppitz. And um, he was Luther's supervisor. And he came along, he fathered, he fathered um, Luther and he said, you know what? Um, repentance is about a shift in heart, a, ch- a heart change. It's not, repentance is not about self-inflicted punishment. What a great thought to bring to someone in those dark moments. And then Luther would actually say about this guy, he said, if it had not been for Stulpitz, he would have sunk into the pits of hell. Wow. So Luther went on, he became an ordained priest, and he earned his doctorate, and um, he started teaching, and eventually he became a provincial vicar, and he oversaw 11 monasteries. So you can imagine, he, by this stage in his life, he was actually pretty influential. And it was during this time that he was lecturing on, on several books, a collection of books in particular, Psalms, Hebrews, Romans, and Galatians. And while he was lecturing and teaching on these books, um, he started to see Scripture in a different light to the official stance and belief system of the Roman Catholic Church. And he realized that the church had lost sight of several truths, central truths of Christianity. And um, things like indulgences had swept into the church. And if you know what they are, I mean, people are basically, uh, these are things that people would pay to actually shorten their suffering in purgatory. You know, like you could, you could, you could, you know, get out of jail card and monopoly sort of thing, you know. And so, but Luther was seeing something completely different in Scripture. He was seeing that we're justified by faith. He was seeing that we've been saved by Jesus. He was seeing that, that there was this free gift of grace that was extended towards us. He saw forgiveness. And so Luther wrote what's known as his 95 Thesis, which listed 95 things that he saw as problems. And Luther, this is an amazing thing, because I, I went and downloaded his uh, thesis, and this is what he says at the beginning. Out of love for truth and a desire to bring it to light, I love that line, the following propositions will be discussed at Wittenberg under the presidency of Reverend Father Martin Luther, Master of Arts and of Sacred Theology, and lecture in ordinary on the same at that place. Old, old England talk, eh? Wherefore, he requests that those who are unable to be present and debate orally with us may do so by letter. So Luther was really passionate about truth. I love the way he starts that, out of love for the truth and a desire to bring it to light. You know, I think, I think Luther developed a passion for truth 
And I think he positioned himself for truth that he was able to see corruption in the theology that they had been teaching and had been taught. And um, I used to imagine Luther kind of going up in a big rant and nailing his, his, you know, big list of 95 things to the door at Saint, uh, All Saints Church, you know, as this massive act of defiance. I don't know if anyone else has pictured that, you know, like this big aggression. He probably didn't use a hammer, he used his forehead just out of frustration of what was going on, <laughs> you know. And so, um, but, but when I sort of looked into him this week, um, I realized, man, something else totally totally else was going on here. It wasn't, it wasn't an act of defiance. It wasn't a, uh, like, um, you've got to change or we're going to break away. It wasn't about division. It was about coming together and starting a discussion about truth and searching and discovering what truth really was, bringing it to light in our lives and bringing freedom. And so, um, you know, Luther's personal reformation, in my opinion, really began when he was a young friar and someone fathered him to have a better thought. When someone came alongside him and said, you know what, you don't have to, start, you don't have to keep punishing yourself for your failure. You've just got to receive forgiveness, repent, and change your heart. It's a heart condition. And it radically changed his worldview so that he became passionate for truth. He became passionate about walking into freedom. This is my thoughts on it. Don't email me if you've got a different opinion. <laughs> Seriously, I'm just getting that out there. So, yeah. <laughs> so look at another guy. Dr. Harold Eberly. Um, he was born last century, but he's still alive today. <clears throat> so Eberly is also a reformer. He wrote a great book called uh, Victorious Eschatology. <laughs> you just got that, didn't you? <laughs> So he wrote this great book called Victorious Eschatology. And if you were coming to the KSOT last year, like all of you guys did, didn't you? You would have heard references to some of his material. <clears throat> so he put a list together of four major views that he had observed in the church. And this was through his many years of, of travel and ministry. And um, so he, he listed these views as salvation, Pentecostal, charismatic, kingdom, father, son. And so um, the salvation view, the salvation worldview, understands the world starting with the fallen fall of Adam and Eve. It focuses on God fixing the sin issue with Jesus. You know, it's all good. We believe this as well. But the prominent role of the believer is about getting people saved and populating heaven. That's the ultimate game in that, with that perspective, that worldview is to populate heaven. Now, the Pentecostal charismatic worldview is similar to the salvation view, but he says they put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit being poured out upon humanity. You know, they focus on getting people saved, filled, empowered with the Holy Spirit, getting them operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All good stuff, lots of fun. But like the salvation worldview, the prominent role um, is to get people saved and to populate heaven. The kingdom worldview he described like this starts, starts with the original Adam and Eve commission, which is to, to fill and subdue the earth. They kind of go back a little bit, not just focused on the fall, but the original mandate that Adam and Eve were given, that they would fill and subdue the earth. 
And, you know, Adam and Eve fell. Jesus died for the sins of humanity. There's a lot of other stuff in there. But resurrected, ascended, is seated on the right hand of the Father. So Jesus conquered death and put everything under his feet. And all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. And that's all great stuff. So the salvation and Pentecostal worldviews do all that hold that Jesus died, resurrected, ascended, and was enthroned. Um, but the kingdom worldview places an emphasis on these events, the importance of that full process, the resurrection, ascension, and enthronement in establishing an advancing kingdom. So a lot of, a lot of ministry that Harold Eberly does is about helping people shift from the salvation or Pentecostal view into a, into a kingdom perspective. And so um, this is where he's kind of got these observations from, just experience dealing with the church, you know. And we can probably all relate to and understand what he's getting at there because I think we've, we kind of believe a bits of every one of those views. And, of course, that leaves us with the father-son worldview. So the father-son worldview doesn't find its foundations in the original mandate of Adam and Eve. Does this make sense? Just giving a picture of his thoughts on it. So the, the, the father-son worldview doesn't, doesn't find its, its foundation in the original mandate of Adam and Eve. It zooms back and it looks at what happened before creation took place where we had a father who, had, who, who developed an intentional desire to have sons. That's massive. So Adam and Eve, the fall, the redemption, the redeeming work of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension, the enthronement, the victory of Jesus, the advancing kingdom are all packaged in the father-son view. But it envisions more than that, and it's pushing it into the, the, the father's original thought, which is to have sons. So Harold Eberle's got a great book called Father-Son Theology, funny enough. It's a 900-page book. But it's a really good read. And um, what I do love is he has this statement in this book um, which really reveals his heart. And I don't think I did a slide for it, but this is what he says in his book. This work is not meant to be the final word on father-son theology. My hope is that many others will teach and write on this subject. I'm sure others will see things different from a different perspective and add their insight. Most importantly, I hope that father-son theology will be a foundation for reformation and a call to the body of Christ to a more mature Christianity. I love that. Uh, what I see in there is Harold Eberle's heart, that he is on a reformational journey and he doesn't pretend to have the full picture. He doesn't pretend to have all the answers, but he wants to add. He wants to create dialogue, discussion, and exploration on this journey, just like Martin Luther. So these worldview terminologies, I want to, I want to change that word from worldview to basically just the lenses and how we see. It's just the lens and how we see, and the lens we use determines what we focus on. Amen. And so. All of us have probably heard that phrase, um, and what we focus on, we empower in our lives. 
I think I first heard it from Bill Johnson, but it's probably been spoken here. Whatever you focus on, you empower in your lives. And as I mentioned earlier, Martin Luther found himself focused on sin and, his, and punishment. And, and that, that empowered that struggle in his life. That was until a father figure came and gave him a better thought. Or in other words, helped him to reshape his lens so he saw something different and the result was grace was empowered in his life. Do you get that? The lens that Martin Luther was carrying, someone came along, helped him reshape it so that he focused on grace and it got empowered in his life. We're going sci-fi. The Hubble telescope, who remembers that? Some of you. It was 1990, I think it was. It's a long time ago now. (laughs) Hey, for some of us. (laughs) Count the years, it's gone, man. So, who remembers when they first launched it, you know, and they sent this thing up into space, it was all heaps of excitement, and they put it up there, and then they turn it on, and then the first images come back to Earth, and it's like, oh, dang, Like, the telescope was fully functional. There was nothing nothing about it that had failed, but the the main mirror that they used in the telescope when it had been manufactured had a 1.3 millimeter defect. 1.3 millimeter defect. And so that makes a big difference. It meant that the Hubble telescope could see had no problem seeing, but not with the clarity that it was designed for. didn't change its ability to see, but it changed the way it saw. You want to turn off the lights for a minute? I'm going to play a video. Wow. Pretty amazing, eh? Can't go out and buy new eyeballs. <laughs> so Hubble's one of many different types of telescopes on, in space and on Earth. I, there's quite a few actually in space. But each one's designed specifically to see in a way that's related to their purpose. Each one is designed to specifically see in a way that is related to their purpose. This is a science class today. The electromagnetic spectrum. Isn't that crazy? This is all the stuff that you can't see. So that little, that little uh, yellow part in the middle... That's visible light. That's, that's all you see. And there's all this other stuff going on, you know, X-rays and gamma rays, which, you, you know, you have to encounter to become, you know, like a superhero. Um, radio waves, all that stuff is continually around us. But as humans, we only see a small portion of it, that visible light. But there's all this other stuff going on. And Scripture tells us that God himself has made himself visible in creation. So think about that. Just in the natural, that small little segment that we can observe, he has left his mark. He's made himself evident. And, you know, we've been designed by a creator who just didn't create this experiment called humanity and take off, you know. He stuck it around. He stuck around. 
Most of us probably wouldn't have. We probably would have abandoned the whole show. But God stuck it around. But it just reveals his heart. He's a relational God. And we've been designed to connect with him. We've been designed to perceive him and recognize him and see him. You just think about the fact that in Christ you're a, you're, you're a habitation of his presence. Amazing. He's relational. But just like the Hubble telescope, sometimes our lens gives us a blurry vision. And we don't see the way we were designed to see. We've allowed stuff sometimes to, to, to shape our lens, distort our lens, uh, different from the way that God had intended us to be designed. So reformation is all about repolishing our lens so that we can see clearly. I want to encourage us really to be on a journey of polishing our lens so that our focal point is the person of Jesus. You know, he is the exact representation of God. He's not, he's not like a mirror image. He's not a photocopy. He is the exact image of God. Apostle Paul, so we've had, we've had Wikipedia and we've had YouTube, and now we're going to have the Bible. So... <laughs> Apostle Paul, in, um, in okay, so Apostle Paul had his lens significantly polished on the road to Damascus. In, in um, Acts chapter nine, we find Saul, and if you didn't know, Saul is actually Paul. He becomes Paul, but in this story, at this moment in time, he's Saul. This is the guy. This is Acts 9, 1 through to verse 17. This is the guy who had threatening and murderous desires. That's how the Amplified puts it. He had threatening, murderous desires towards those who were following Jesus. And so he got permission that while he was on the road to Damascus, he would be allowed to arrest anyone he found who was a follower of Jesus and bring them to Jerusalem bound. So Paul's Paul's traveling along the road and suddenly a bright flashing light surrounds him. And Saul falls to the ground, and he hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul replies, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And the men that were traveling with Paul were freaking out. They heard the voice but saw no one. And you can go on and read the rest of the story. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened there. But um, what's really interesting is this is an amazing story uh, that, that we're being told about Paul's interaction with Jesus. And what's really interesting in, in Acts 9 here, it's really telling the story from a, from a third-person perspective. And the story gets really, bit, um, really even more amazing when we realize that actually in Philippians 3, Paul actually starts to share from his perspective, and he shares about his lens that's changed after this encounter. He starts to share about how his lens shift when he experienced Jesus. When, when Jesus came, he started to repolish his lens. This is Philippians 3, 4. And he goes, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. 
circumcised the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to, the right, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Wow. You know, he had the right lineage. You know, he, had, he was doing the right things according to the law. He, all these things were going on. He was the man. But then it goes, but whatever, whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, of whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of. And um, my page moved. (laughs) Now press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as as are perfect have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have obtained. I love that. I just I feel so much passion in that writing there. We, we read the story in Acts 9 of, of his encounter, and, uh, and, and here in Philippians 3, we actually we hear, we hear from Paul himself the lens shift that he took hold of. That according to how he perceived, the way that he saw, he was right standing. According to the law, he was righteous. The way that he perceived and understood Scripture, he was the man and he was, he was walking with a zeal that was persecuting the church and he was proud of it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he says, look, I'm going I'm to rebuff your lens so it focuses on me and you're going to see with clarity. And see, Paul didn't then throw out all the scripture he knew. He looked at the scripture he knew and he saw the person of Jesus because Jesus was being revealed through it. And because he had a different lens before, he couldn't see Jesus when he turned up. The way we polish our lens to be better focused on Jesus, and I think it's found... There And I think Paul's a champion of this. It's in Philippians 3.10, is just to know him. The way we, we go on a journey of reformation and having our lens polished so that we can see Jesus with greater, greater clarity is just to, to be passionate to know him. To, to do, you know, we sung that song earlier, eh? Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but draw me a little closer, you know? Wow, do we just sing the song? Are we actually making a heart cry to God? 
I think Paul touched on something. He was the champion of pursuing that knowledge of Christ. And you see it in lots of his writings, just to know him, to intimately know him, not just know of Christ, but to, to know him. You know, the other day I spent um, quite a few hours working on building that the KSOT brochure that you would have got in your newsletter there. And um, when, you're, when you're building one of them from scratch, it takes a little bit longer. And, and I thought it was sweet, so I sent it through to Mal for, for proofreading. And what's really amazing, from when I sent it to when she read it, mistakes appeared. <laughs> they were not there. And I think it might have been her authority. She decreed it, and it became. But, <laughs> but, but you know what? Um, I realize that when you're staring at something long enough, you don't always see the error that's in front of you. And I think that brings up another point. Not only do we have to be passionate to pursue and know Christ, we actually have to do it in community. We actually have to have and invite people into our lives who, who have permission to proofread you. And that doesn't mean you give permission to someone who's going to point out all your errors. It means you're going to give permission to someone that you're going to do life with who can see the final image of what you're called to be, which is to look like Jesus who can see that on you, can see that in you, and they come along and they proofread your life to help refine that lens so that you can see with clarity. Just be pursuers of him. Just to know him, to explore him, and then do it in family. Someone who can help you refine your focal point of looking and becoming like Christ. Look at Apostle Paul, you know, he had this amazing Damascus Road experience with God, with Jesus. But then he also had to walk with Barnabas. Just a thought. I want to go after something this morning. As I was thinking about just sharing these thoughts, hopefully that made sense. Um, it's nice to have a science lesson too, eh? Um, what, what's really been on my mind and on my heart this week as I've just been thinking about, about this stuff is to, I, I want to, um, let's go after um, healing of eyes. If, you, if this morning, if you wear glasses, if you, if, if your eyeballs are, um, are not according to their original design, why don't you just stand up? Wow. <laughs> okay. There'll be, there's going to be no one left to pray. Uh, <laughs> I also want to, not only if your eyeballs are, are wonky, but if, 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 there's, if there's a processing issue uh, in your brain, so your eyes see fine, but you process the information wrong, also stand up. <laughs> so I'm standing up for both of those. 
You wouldn't have guessed something was processing wrong on my head, would you? But <laughs> all right. So if you're if you're sitting, hmm. <laughs> okay. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Wasn't expecting that. Okay. So if you're sitting, you can stand now too. And go, uh, go to someone that's standing. And if you're standing in a row of people that are standing, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, um, yeah, you're gonna pray. You're gonna get together. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanna, we wanna. This is not a long-winded prayer. This is not like God. If it's your will, this is gonna be a decree of restoration and reformation of eyesight in the name of Jesus. So just get together and start praying over each other. Lead by example. You can get noisy, it's okay. In the name of Jesus, we declare perfect eyesight. We declare lenses to be readjusted right now in the name of Jesus. Cataracts, not Cadillacs, but cataracts gone in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Right now, Lord Father, if there's any bad wiring in the brain to just be rewired right now so that people can see with clarity in the name of Jesus. We bless them with wholeness. We bless them with wholeness in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Just have a quick look around. If there's someone that's not being prayed for, make sure that someone's being prayed for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jen, oh, in the middle, in the middle. Ah, yep. The glasses were a giveaway. <laughs> right. So what we want to do is we want to test it out. So if you've got glasses on, take them off and do something you couldn't do. So if you couldn't read small print, can't read big print, <laughs> huh? yeah. If you if you had depth perception issues, run to the wall. <laughs> okay, wait. Put your hand up if you've got some change in your eyesight. If you've noticed anything change in your eyes, just put your hand up and wave it. Oh, we've got one over there. Awesome. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Now, is it some improvement or completely improved? Some? Okay, go pray for him again. Thank you. We bless that in Jesus' name. Just pray again for the, for the person next to you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Just receive, receive, receive. <laughs> and check it out. Check it out. You guys are all quiet. <laughs> 
Test it out. And so if you notice a change, put up your hand. Man, don't do this on a long weekend. Everyone's in holiday mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyone else with a, notice a difference in their vision? Improving? A little bit? Come on. We celebrate a little bit. Come on. Okay, we're going to get our ministry team to come up the front. We're going to land the plane. <laughs> Space shuttle, yeah. <laughs> and so if you, want, if you want someone to continue to pray for your eyes, come and pick a victim up here. <laughs> and they want to love on them. Yeah. We shouldn't settle, eh? We shouldn't settle. I noticed that there's a lot of like um, ministers that are involved in healing, but I mean, we've all got shoddy eyes. So, I mean, why should we allow that to be acceptable? Come on, because it's been healed in Jesus' name. It's been done. Yeah. <laughs> did, you wanna, did you want the band to do something, or should we just put some music on? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I want to invite you up. They're going to put some awesome music on. Hey, Jono. Yeah. There's a band called Terra, apparently, so it's really good. It's relational. Their lyrics are relational. <laughs> so I just want to invite you, if you want, if you want to step into uh, um, just having that clarity of vision in the natural and in the spiritual, I want you just to come up and respond and just let these guys partner with you and pray for you and bless you and declare over you. So we bless you with an amazing week. In Jesus' name.